So we've been supplementing our Sunday morning messages that are in the Old Testament uh, with what we're doing on Wednesday night. But the last few weeks, we've been looking at the same principles and themes and the same ideas in the New Testament. We've been seeing covenant continuity and even things dealing with the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant and things like that. So we looked at John 15 a few weeks back, um, and then we looked at 1 Corinthians 10 last Wednesday. Today, we're going to look at Romans 11, and we're going to see the same theme of how God deals with his people now in the new covenant the same way he did in the old covenant. Now, there's greater blessings, but that also means greater curses and things like that. But the same general principles and the same general patterns are there. Uh, So I'm going to read verses 11 through 24. And as you can see, I had to put it in small writing because it's quite a big chunk. Uh, So we may or may not get through it all. You guys aren't surprised by that. Uh, But we'll read through it. I'll give us the context and then we'll jump in. So look along with me as I read. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is the word of the Lord. All right, so what you have in this big letter uh, that is the book of Romans, I mean, I know we went through it not too long ago, but... It was a lot to remember everything. Um, You have Paul essentially raising support for a mission journey to Spain. And he's doing it through kind of the systematic method of laying out the beauties of the gospel and gospel promises. And how God has this grand plan uh, to save people from every nation and every generation. And how he is an apostle who's meant to go and be this apostle to the Gentiles to bring about the faith of the nations and the obedience of faith to the nations. And so he goes through, kind of lays out the gospel, and then he gets to these glorious gospel promises in Romans 8. I mean, just 
utterly beautiful. Everything you want to bank your life on. Uh, nothing in all of creation, nothing, not even life nor death, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, beautiful promises that we should bank everything on. And then he anticipates some pushback. He anticipates that someone's going to say, well, you know, Paul, you're saying we can trust the Lord, that he's faithful to keep covenant, and that we can bank our lives on these promises. But, you know, that doesn't seem to be the case for the Israelites. So many of them have fallen away and have rejected their Messiah. What do you say to that, Paul? Well, Paul says in Romans 9, 6, it is not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, right? So you can be a Jew by birth, but that doesn't mean you're truly elect. Doesn't mean you're going to have true, genuine faith. It means you ought to. You've been raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, if your parents were faithful, uh, you've been raised within the covenant. You ought to place your faith in the Lord. But so many of them rejected their Messiah. So Paul begins to explain this grand purpose of God called the purpose of election. And that he has mercy on whom he has mercy. And he hardens whomever he wills. He gives the example with uh, Jacob and Esau, with uh, Moses and the Israelites and Pharaoh. Uh, and all these different examples showing how it is right and good for God to do what he does uh, because his grand purpose in doing it is magnifying, magnifying his glory, but not just magnifying his glory, but also um, he says he does it in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. So he talks about vessels of wrath who are going to perish but then vessels of mercy that inherit this glory and the beauty of it. Um, And so this contrast exists between wrath and mercy and judgment and grace and all these things so that the vessels of mercy would marvel at God's amazing grace all the more. They would see how amazing God is and how glorious he is. Um, But you you have that aspect of election happening and hardening happening And all of our text today falls within that context of that explanation that uh, not all who are descended from Israel truly belong to Israel. But even then, God did enter into covenant with ethnic Israel, not not simply the elect, like all of them were in covenant. But some of them rebelled against the covenant and showed themselves not to be elect. But this is all a part of God's grand plan to bring in all of the elect, including all of the nations, all of the Gentiles. There's this just breathtaking verse that I don't know what you do with it if you don't fully believe in God's sovereignty. But in Romans 11, verse 32, Paul says, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. In other words, God ordains the disobedience of those who are going to rebel against him so that those whom he's going to have mercy on would come in. And the plan is for all, like God's going to save the world. He's after all nations, not just Israel, not just Israel and America. No, every tribe, tongue, nation, and generation. He's after the world. And so all are going to come in. And so That's why God not just simply allows, but ordains Israel's rebellion, right? We, we see this pretty clearly in the fact that 
the greatest good that has ever happened happened because Israel rejected their Messiah and condemned him to the cross, right? Because Israel fell away by and large and rejected Jesus, Jesus was crucified, but Jesus was crucified for the sins of the very people who murdered him and had him condemned and for us, right? And so all who would turn to him and trust in him by faith. So this is all the major context into where our passage falls. So when he begins in verse 11, so I ask that they stumble in order that they might fall. Who is the they here? Israel. This is Israel here. And he's going to get into the Gentiles here in a second. So did they stumble? Did they fall away? Did they apostatize? Did they turn from God that they might fall? Like, is that the end all be all reason? No, God has a bigger purpose in mind, right? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. All right. What's he mean here, through their trespass? What trespass comes to mind? Unbelief is a key. Yeah, where do we see that here? My writing's too small. I can't find the word I'm looking for. I need a search engine. Somewhere in here it says unbelief. Uh, <laughs> the, verse 20. All right, let's see. Unbelief uh, 19, right below 19. Yes. Well done. All right, because of their unbelief, right? Now, how does that unbelief play out, though? Is it merely like they're like, ah, I don't think I believe that? Or does something else happen? idol worship so you can go back as far as the golden calf you got idolatry um, oh sure you can go all the way back to to Adam yeah that also I mean they're immediately grumbling like we had it better there I like my three hots and a cot in Egypt versus going out in the wilderness with God that's idolatry uh, but on to Jesus's day, right? This played out through them rejecting Christ and having him crucified. But what is the key sin there? Unbelief, right? We don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Therefore, we're going to put him to death. Um, so unbelief is the key problem. Same in idolatry, right? They're believing the wrong thing. They're going after the wrong treasures, the wrong pleasures, the wrong gods, instead of believing that God is who they need and who salvation and satisfaction is found in. Uh, but God has his purpose, right? God works all things together for good, Paul has already said in Romans eight twenty eight. So through their trespass, salvation comes to the Gentiles. Now that's true in and of itself because, again, the cross happens because of their trespass, because of their rejection. Uh, that, that plays out. So God is sovereign, but he uses means. Right? He's working in and through people. Um, Ty was telling me earlier about a passage in Jeremiah where you have an unfaithful king who is judged by King Nebuchadnezzar coming and gouging out eyes and doing all these crazy things. And that's God's judgment upon that king and that wicked nation. But he's doing it through another nation, right? He doesn't just, God doesn't have to do that, right? We see with the Israelites, he could just have the ground open up and eat them, right? Or Sodom and Gomorrah, he could have the sky open up and fire fall from heaven. 
He doesn't need humanity, but he does it anyway. And, and part of it's just that's how he works things for his glory. So in this case, you have the Jews rejecting Jesus and salvation coming to the Gentiles. But there's a bigger thing at play here. Salvation comes to the Gentiles, not just because of the, how everything played out with the Jews, but because there's something else bigger playing out so as to make Israel jealous. Well, what's he mean by that? Why would Israel be jealous of the Gentiles? Right. So they're essentially getting in on their inheritance, right? The, um, <laughs> this is a bad example. Went to a play last night. Uh, <laughs> and Mallory was in a play. And it was Withering Heights. And Heathcliff ends up getting everything uh, because... Well, the father loves him more than his own son, right? And he adopts Heathcliff. What was the birth son's name? I can't remember. Yeah, nobody likes him. He was a drunk and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but the, uh, not that there was like any good guys in the story. Uh, but the, uh, there's a jealousy that happens that the son feels like, well, you, you love this guy who you've adopted in more. So as soon as the dad dies, the son pushes him out. Right, you're you're not taking my inheritance. I don't want you here. That's kind of what 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 Paul is saying, essentially. Like the Gentiles are adopted in, where the Jews are this these people that it's they're just through natural reproduction are carrying on covenant continuity, raising their children and nurturing admonition of the Lord. They're given these promises. Now, people could convert to Judaism and get into that, get in on that, but by and large, this is happening through families, just being families, and through the nation being the nation. And yet they fall away from their inheritance. They fall away from their covenant um, and all those covenant blessings. But then God brings the Gentiles in. And the Gentiles, again, have already been able to get in. Right? They could convert to Judaism. But now that's not even necessary. God has opened up the floodgates through the new covenant. And now the church, by and large, is Gentile. The Gentiles are getting saved. Right? Paul's writing to Rome, which is primarily Gentile. Um, and so he's saying the point of God doing this is not because he's just saying, I don't want anything to do with Israel anymore. No, he's, he's after everyone. And he wants the Jews to be jealous of what they see and not do what, you know, the guy did in Withering Heights and kick people out of the family and say, you're just my servant or whatever. No, but see like, oh, we're all one in Christ and we can all get in on this by faith. But all that to say that God has these good purposes in everything he's doing even when we can't see it. He's always doing more than what we see. So, verse 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? All right, what's he getting at there? What do you think he means by riches for the world? Right, well, so you've got the general idea of salvation tied to these riches, right? But this is all covenant blessing. So he has said in Romans 8, and in Romans 8 really is a beautiful chapter laying out covenant blessings. You are 
fellow heirs with Christ, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Well, what belongs to Jesus? Everything. And if you are fellow heirs with Christ, what belongs to you? Everything. <laughs> We're going to inherit the earth, right? The meek shall inherit the earth, Jesus says. And Paul says that's actually what God was promising Abraham. Abraham's promised land was a lot more than just Canaan. Will he get Canaan? Absolutely. And the rest of the world as well. And so will every true believer. And so you get all things in Christ. And best of all, you are heirs of God. There's nothing better than God. God is the one from which all good things flow. He is the ultimate good. So you're heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. And you get all of this by being in the covenant of grace faithfully. By looking to God, trusting in Christ, following him. Uh, So... Their trespass, their rejection of the Messiah, their unbelief, ultimately leads to riches for the world. And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, and notice he's using world and Gentiles together. This word means nations. Keep that in mind as you, if your mind, your mind probably doesn't work like mine, but (laughs) which is good, trust me. But if it did, I have a mental concordance that kind of goes in my brain all the time. And I see words and I just start thinking of verses, right? So you can look at trespasses means riches for the world. Wait a minute. God said in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that whoever, you know, so stuff like that pops in and you start connecting these verses overall to the whole of scripture. So if God's working through Israel, even through the rejection of their Messiah to bring about covenant blessings to the nations, if that works through them rejecting their covenant heritage, how much more will their full inclusion mean? What, okay, what is full inclusion? What's he getting at there? It's actually one word in the Greek, and it just means fullness. In this context, what do you think he's getting at? Right. That's, 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 I think you're making it more complicated. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But that's tied to it. But so the fullness is really them getting in on this and, and them getting in on, uh, you know, they're not jealous anymore because they're getting in on their inheritance, right? They now are co-heirs with Christ as well. So what he's saying is if God worked through their rebellion, how much more so will he work through their faithfulness? Like if, if, they, if they were stupid and rejected their Messiah and yet God brought all this good from it, what kind of good might he work through their repentance? And they're trusting in Christ. And them being brought into the fullness of the covenant and all of these realities. Now, he's going to break it down a little more for us. So let's keep pushing. Verse 13. Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. All right. In light of that context, what's he saying there? Right. He, so when Paul went to any given city or any given area, do you know what, where he preached first? The synagogue. Like he went to the Jews first, which he said in Romans 1.16. 
Uh, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that was the pattern of his ministry. He would go to the Jew first and then he'd go to the Gentiles. But he'd go to the Jews. They'd think he's crazy. Then he'd walk outside, you know, go to the court of the Gentiles, start preaching the gospel. Gentiles are repenting and believing. And Paul is like, they're taking your inheritance. See how that works out for you. You know, and he's hoping that they get jealous, right? That they see like, wait a minute, it seems as though God is working there. It seems as though God is doing something there. Which I would point out, you know, that a lot of what you see in Acts is doing this same thing. A lot of the supernatural gifts and the things that are happening are meant to show the Jews that what is happening is legitimate, right? This is God working. This is the Messiah you've rejected. And this is the true gospel that you need to repent and believe in. But they didn't see it. So Paul is doing everything he can to help them see it. But at the same time, he is being a faithful apostle to the Gentiles, taking the gospel and the, the, the message of all the promises of God to the Gentiles, showing them that they can get in on this. And they were meant to get on this. This has been God's plan all along. So he says, verse 15, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Okay, that sounds a lot like what, what he said earlier. So what's he getting at? So life from the dead, eternal life. So in the context here, what their rejection, that's tied to this trespass language, which we said was unbelief, right? So their acceptance would then be what? Faith. Right. Justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, they're looking to Christ and being saved, and it brings life from the dead. But notice this language of the reconciliation of the world. I just don't think we talk that way much where we think about God reconciling the world to himself, that he's, he's after the world. Like we sing that hymn from time to time, this is my father's world. Oh, may I ne'er forget that though the wrong seems often so strong, God is the ruler yet, right? This is his world. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I'm thinking that's what it is. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the end result of, of Scripture. Right. Is, is a reconciliation of man and world. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't want to separate the two, right? One is working towards the other. And the, the end of all things is God making all things new, right? Truly fixing what was broken, wiping every tear from our eyes, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. That's the day we're all longing for. Um, this is not the point of this message, but it's tied in this. And it's, if you don't like where I'm going, blame Jeff. Uh, <laughs> so, this reconciliation language is crucial. Because this is what we're all longing for. 
This is what our hearts are breaking for. So me and Winston were talking today. And a friend of his just recently passed away. Of course, we've been dealing with death lately and loss and grief and pain and all of this. And think about what you do at a funeral. You create these slideshows of pictures and you look back at the life of the individual and then people get up and they speak and you kind of wax nostalgic for an hour, right? You look and your heart's longing for things to be the way they were. But that's not really what you want. <laughs> like you want things to be made right. Like you don't want to go back to that time. You want something better than that. You, you want that person with you right now and no fear of losing them again. So C.S. Lewis taps in on this, uh, and I think it's the problem of pain. And he says, essentially, when we're longing for what used to be, when we're yearning over our childhood, when we're yearning for a loved one that we've lost, when we're waxing nostalgic, as it were, we're not actually longing for the past. We're longing for what will be, the reconciliation of all things. We're longing for the new heavens, new earth. We're longing for glory where death will be no more. We're longing to be with that loved one with no fear of losing them. And them no fear of losing us. That's what we're after. Our hearts ache and we say, I want them back. I want to go back there. But that's not what you actually want. You want things the way they're supposed to be and will be and the way God is working all things together too. Like, that's, that's what we're seeing here. All of the madness of this world is working towards that, right? Even God's chosen people rejecting their Messiah was not a mistake. It was God doing something towards something bigger and better. And that's what God is always doing. And we don't see that because we're in the midst of all the pain and the hurt and the chaos. But God knows what he's doing and he's getting us there. And one day, every wrong will be made right. right? So that, that is absolutely part of that statement, the reconciliation of the world. But I would not subtract one from the other, that it is indeed the fulfillment of the Great Commission and people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and generation being saved. And when the fullness of the elect have been saved and the final day comes and the, 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 glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea, Jesus will return and make all things new fully and finally, right? That's all tied together. And that's what we're longing for. And that's what your faithfulness is a part of. That's what every aspect of your life is a part of. But as you walk in faithfulness, you are pushing back the darkness and ushering in the kingdom of light more and more. And that's, that's what we're after. That's what we're doing. That's what Paul's apostleship was about. That's what every Christian life is about. And so what God is doing is working towards a reconciliation of the world. We think, we tend to think, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, that may be true right now in an election year. Uh, <laughs> but if you were looking at a chart of it, it's, it's like, there are hills and valleys, but it's always kind of going up, you know. Uh, God's always working things for good. He's always advancing his kingdom. He's always doing something. He always has a people for himself, even if it's only a remnant at a time. But that remnant's going to keep marching on, and the gospel will advance. 
and God's purposes will advance, and the world will eventually, the nations will eventually be fully and finally reconciled. And he seems to be saying, as will Israel. They're a part of this great commission that God is is embarking and bringing us in on. And so God is doing great things and will save his people. Sure. Give us a cliff notes. No, well, Paul's going to warn them not. Yeah, Paul's going to tell them, don't do that, right? Because that's what the Jews, the Jews did that. Well, I think that he's, what he's showing is, is that's what the Jews did. Don't fall into the same trap they did, right? So the Jews, when Jesus comes along, they don't see him as a Messiah. And many of them don't think they need a Messiah, right? They're essentially legalists who are saying, look, I'm doing pretty well. Like, I don't need to be saved. Uh, you know, when, think about when Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees and he tells them, you're of your father, the devil. They say, Who, what? Abraham's our father. Who are you to say that? And he says, look, if anybody sins, they're a slave to sin. Like, I'm not a slave to anybody. I'm a Jew. Like they're totally missed their depravity and their need for a savior. Or think of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? The tax collector, uh, I think it's tax collector, right? The guy, the sinner, he sees, you know, he's a desperate sinner, and he won't even look up to the heavens. He looks down and he beats his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee says, God, thank you. I'm not like that guy. I'm doing well. I appreciate that. And, well, you are like that guy. It's just your problem is pride. <laughs> that guy has other sin issues, but you both have sin issues, right? Um, and so, yeah, this is a warning that they don't fall into the same trap that the Jews fell in. But I don't think they've gone there yet. I think he's just saying, like, this is, God's got a plan. This is what's happening. Now, no doubt, there may be some of them that were doing that. But not in the sense that, by and large, they were the way the Jewish uh, people had, by and large, rejected their Messiah. So, yes, you're, you're on the right track. So let's, let's keep pushing forward. I don't want to run out of time. All right. Verse 16. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy... So are the branches. All right. Wait a minute. We just got into some weird mixture of bread and tree metaphor. What, what, what is going on? So what if the dough offered as first fruits is holy? What is the dough or first fruits? Right. And with the blessings of those first fruits, the rest of the, the harvest or the rest of the grave would be, would be sanctified and set apart. So in that sense, what, are that, what is that representing then in, in this context? Yeah. So you could tie that to this. Um, 
Break it down for us. The vine is right. Mm-hmm. Right. Ty, what were you going to say? I heard you mumbling over there. <laughs> oh, you lost it. <laughs> it's in there somewhere. <laughs> So, yes, I think in this case we're talking Israel slash Jews, right? Ethnic Jews. And they're holy. Well, so is the whole lump. What's the whole lump then? What's that? Okay. So we'll say Jew and Gentile. Maybe church. Okay, and if the root is holy, all right, what's the root? Jesus. What'd you say? What'd you say? Oh, come on. <laughs> Jesus, um, I think there's more to it than that, but we'll leave it there for now. Uh, so are the branches. All right, well, now he's kind of tied. Well, we could say a whole lump is branches, first fruits, dough, branches. Yeah, so... Israel slash church. The, you know, Paul is like just perfect ADD preacher. He's like, you know, yeah, I'm trying to make them jealous, you know, in the inheritance. Speaking of which, how about bread and trees? You know, when you talk, let's talk about that. <laughs> just you know, chasing rabbits. But he goes, switches quickly to the branches metaphor. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. All right, so branches, if some of the branches were broken off, who were broken off? Yep. Jews. Right, so we'll do that. Un believing Jews um, and you although a wild olive shoot alright so who's the you that's a wild olive shoot Gentiles. Gentiles and this wild olive shoot is kind of the, the same language of the world um, you know often the Bible does not speak very well of the world um, and that's because the world is often wild and caught up in sin but God is reconciling the world to himself and bringing people out of their sin into his amazing grace, out of their darkness and into his uh, marvelous light, as it were. So Gentiles are now a wild olive shoot, and we're grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Well, this nourishing root aspect, this is, this is what he wants them to be jealous of. This is what full inclusion is tied to. So, abiding in the vine, nourish, being nourished by the root, same idea. So, very similar to John 15. Yes. Nourishing root is tied to this same language of covenant blessings. So, that happens in Christ, but that happens in covenant faithfulness with Christ. Okay? Well, sure. 
absolutely. And I mean, Christ is how we get in on that, though, right? Because nobody gets to the Father except through Christ. So, absolutely. So, I would, I would say you could use covenant to define root, the covenant of grace, or Jesus, because that's, that's how we get in on Christ. That's how we get on the covenant. We're in Christ if we're in the covenant. And we're in the covenant if we're in Christ. And if we're in Christ, we're being nourished by the Trinity. And we have a relationship with the Father, the Son. We're dwelt by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, so on and so forth. So all of this is tied together. And this is, this is covenant language flowing from the Old Testament. But he says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. All right, Branches here are probably branches that were broken off. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, right? So unbelieving Jews broke it off. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. All right. Let's stop for a second and break that down. Uh, most of it's pretty straightforward, but what does pride, what is, what is being proud tied to in this context? There, well, yes, but what is, how did their pride play out is what I'm getting at. Right, but that, that this, this is the Jews he's talking about here um, in contrast. So you've got pride tied to unbelief is what I'm getting at, right? So... When you're proud, it's actually a faith problem. Right? You're not believing properly about yourself or about God. You're either elevating yourself too high or whatever it is. And you're not king. You need to get off the throne. Jesus is Lord, right? So, Or you are prideful and you think, I don't need a savior, whatever it is. What does fear tie to? So he says, we are to fear. So this is fear in a good way. Well, it's, he's saying don't be like the Jews, right? So he's warning the Gentiles to not do what the Jews did. So he's saying don't become proud of the Gentiles. Correct. And pride played out for the Jews through unbelief is what I'm getting at. So don't fall into unbelief like the Jews. Don't be prideful and arrogant and think that, well, I've got this covenant uh, inheritance. I can do whatever I want, right? I don't have to be faithful. I don't have to believe. Yes, you do. So pride and unbelief go hand in hand. Well, what goes hand in hand with fear in this context? Belief, Belief, right? Faith. So faith and fear are tied together. So when you see in the Bible, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Think faith. Think that's that's what he's getting at. (laughs) Chris has been thinking about that one. Um, But... Fear in this, this instance is a good thing. I know the Bible says over and over again, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Uh, but you're supposed to fear the Lord, right? This is a proper awe, proper reverence of the Lord, which means you're going to have a proper humility and realize your need of him. And you're going to look at him and who he is and his promises for you, and you're going to trust in him. Now, here's why, in part, you should fear and trust him and not grow prideful and fall into unbelief. For if God did not spare the natural branches, who is that? Jews. Neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. 
severity to those who have fallen. How did they fall? Unbelief and pride, right? So severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. How do we continue in his kindness? Faith. Obedient faith. I like it. So, covenant faithfulness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Hang on. (laughs) Now, this is New Covenant, Book of Romans. Paul's talking to the Gentile church, by and large. And he says, otherwise, you too will be cut off just like the Jews. Now, we're a Reformed church. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. That if anybody's truly saved, they're always saved. So what do you make of that statement? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those who have true faith will have persevering faith. grow in that pride think they're the only true church and end up essentially falling away and singling themselves out for the rest of the covenant yeah i mean speaking of churches you've got the book of revelation where you see god warning churches you know don't forsake your first love don't fall away this follow lang- fall away language is actually used quite a bit in the new covenant Steve. Right. So, using the John 15 language we used a few weeks ago, Jesus says, If anybody is in me and does not bear fruit, they are cast away and thrown into the fire. Right? How, but if you're in Christ, how can you then perish? Well, because you can be in covenant with Christ and not be elect. Right? Not have genuine true faith. Which implies that, like Stephen just said, you have true branches and false branches. You have true believers and false believers and all these in between in the covenant community. Um, And that's because you see a continuity of how God works in the old to how God works in the new. And what God does in the new is better. God is expanding And it's going out to the whole reconciliation of the world. It's getting better and better and better. Which is why the argument that in the new, the children are kicked out of the covenant, it doesn't work with the pattern you see in Scripture because everything is expanding and getting better and better and better. God's after more and more. He's not constricting. He's going out. He's expanding. So instead of it just being about one nation, it's about all nations. Instead of it just being about one people group, it's about all people groups. It's every tribe, tongue, nation, and generation. So with that in mind, 
if believers and their households are brought into the covenant, well, true believers are not going to fall away. But doesn't mean they're all true believers within the household. You want them to be. You're raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're calling them to be faithful. But they might not be. And lest we just, you know, warn about our children or whatever, I have seen, and I know you've seen, people profess faith, adults profess faith, get baptized, and then disappear, and you find them camped out at the bar or wherever, and they've totally abandoned their faith in Christ, which shows that it was never true for sure, right? 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us because they were not of us, but they were of us covenantally. They were a part of us in that sense. They're falling away from something. They're being cut off from something that they were legitimately in, right? So the language that I've used recently is a husband can be a terrible husband and break covenant with his wife, but he was a husband nonetheless, right? He's cheating on his wife and that's terrible and he's breaking covenant, but he had to be in covenant to be able to do that. So you can look at him and say, you're not a husband at all. You're a terrible human being. Why are you treating your wife this way? And in one sense, that's true. He's not a man. He's not a husband. He's not being who he's called to be. But in another sense, covenantally, he is. He took vows, but he's breaking them. Same way here. The idea is they took membership vows. They pledged allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet they have fallen away and have shown that they never had that true faith. And so they cut off. So he's saying, don't fall into that trap. These Jews thought they were true Jews. But their pride and their unbelief led them astray. And the same thing can happen to us. We can deceive ourselves. And so he's warning us, don't fall into that same path. God works the same way he's always had. Faith, obedient faith, true faith, is what helps you walk in obedience to the Lord. But if you don't believe rightly, you will be cut off just as the Jews were who didn't believe rightly and rejected their Messiah. But even if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary, uh, grafted, contrary, grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature, there we go, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So Israel is this cultivated olive tree that's been over time being, being cultivated and laid out properly through the covenant. It started with Adam. It goes to Noah. It goes to Abraham. It's getting more and more cultivated, getting more and more organized. It goes to Moses, getting more and more cultivated, more and more organized. It goes to David, more and more cultivated, more and more organized. Until you get to the new covenant in Christ, where it's meant to go out to the nations... And now it's bringing in all these wild olive shoots and grafting them in. And it's been firmed up and cultivated and made right the way it's meant to be. And we're being brought into that. And that, what that means is like the full reality of the covenant and the gospel and all the blessings that are there are now understood and seen rightly. Like we're not going to understand the gospel rightly if we don't have a category for a sin sacrifice that brings atonement. And that happens through the Mosaic Covenant. Like, we, we don't know what it means that Jesus is the Lamb of God who is slain for the sins of the world unless we understand, like, 
oh, that used to happen in the old covenant and that was pointing to something greater, right? And so all of that is cultivated and laid out the way it's supposed to and now we get brought into that. But he's telling us, don't grow prideful. Don't think that you don't need Jesus. Don't, don't let your pride come in and lead you astray. You are not anything without Christ. And that's the same thing Jesus says in John 15. John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. You know what that means? We can do nothing without Christ. He gives us life and breath and everything. And he certainly gives us the ability to walk in covenant faithfulness. So what you see here is God deals with his people the same way he always has. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That faith does not stay alone. Faith without works is dead. It's an obedient faith that loves and trusts and walks in obedience to the Lord. It's not perfect. It's not perfection, but it is a change of direction. But we must persevere. We must continue in his kindness. Right? We must continue in obedient faith. And if we don't, we will fa- find ourselves in the same place that the Jews who rejected the Messiah were. Right? We can't say, well, I'm a member of Cornerstone. I'm good. I'm a member of the Ash family. I'm good. No, you're a member of Cornerstone. So fight sin. Pursue holiness. You're a member of whatever Christian family you're a member of. So fight sin. Pursue holiness. Hold fast to Christ. You don't get to let that lead to some sort of ethnic or familial pride. No, that's, that was the Jews' fault. We are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And God, in His kindness, has given us that Savior. And from Jew and Gentile, from Israel to now every tribe, tongue, and nation and generation, God saves sinners through simple faith in Him. And that's what we're meant to walk in. So you see this the same story and the same pattern and the same posture from Genesis to Revelation. And that's how all this comes together. That's how this covenant continuity comes together. God is, he's had the same MO from the very beginning. He saves sinners and he's reconciling the world to himself and he will make all things new. He will make all things right. That grief, that sorrow, that pain, that hole in our heart that so many of us have, Christ will fill it. Christ will fix it. Christ will bring us to himself because we have been brought into covenant with him. And if we walk in obedient faith, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And he will make all things new. So may we continue in his kindness until the day we see him face to face. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us to be your covenant people? Not to fall into pride or unbelief, but to hold fast to the gospel and to follow Christ come what may. God, we see you have a plan. You're working all things together for good. And yet we experience so much bad. So much darkness, so much pain, so much sorrow. God, would you help us to trust you when we can't make sense of what's going on? Would you help us to know that you know what you're doing and that you are faithful in all things? And then would you help us to hold fast in light of those promises and in light of the beauty of the truth of your gospel? God, help us to continue in your kindness 
so that we would get to that final day when all things would be reconciled to you and there would be no more pain, no more crying, no more death, only joy and glory in Christ forevermore. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you all. Thank you so much.